Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are actually asking you to return to your seats to put your tray tables into an upright position because, dang, if there wasn't a lot of turbulence in the Bundesliga on match day two. We had upsets aplenty, pink slips flying right and left. With me this week to steer this, you know, TF Airways flight to safety, we hope, is my returning co-pilot, Nick Vildhagen. Are you prepared to take the controls or or, or is that actually your your third or maybe fourth Imperial IPA of the evening? <laughs> I, I am on, uh, I'm on, I'm on a light pale ale from, from Sweden, but uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm not quite at the same alcohol blood level as a usual airline pilot, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Very nice. Very nice. I guess that, you know, there's certain privileges that come along with with certain jobs. This week on Talking Foosball, of course, we've got all the goods on both Bayern and Dortmund's, uh, you know, double banana peel act, if you will. We'll have insight from a Mainz 05 beat writer on the uh, internal strife at that club. And, uh, you know, coming up next, we're going to go to the Bundesliga's biggest basket case. And, and where do they go now after 18 games without a win and now without a coach? All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the best of the match day just gone. This was match day two. And, you know, some weeks it just feels like there's nothing but best. Uh, this was kind of one of those weeks. You saw the results. Uh, we had shockers from the big two. We had first wins for both uh, newly promoted sides and not one, but two coaches out on their ears. Um, I think... Uh, among those two guys who are now probably looking for work and, and two coaches who are looking for, for uh, coaches, sorry, two and two clubs which are looking for coaches, uh, let's start with the one that kind of felt like it was a long time coming. Let's, let, let's recount things here. Uh, Schalke, they are at rock bottom, bottom of the league, bottom of everything you can imagine in the Bundesliga. Two games, two losses, minus 10 goal difference. If you stretch things back to last season, and, and why not? They've now gone 18 games without a win. Um, this week, Schalke totally didn't show up for another game. This was a home match uh, against Werder Bremen. They lost uh, 3-1 to one at home. It was very similar in a lot of ways that they started the game looking fairly credible, looking fairly organized. But as soon as they took one on the chin, which in this case was 22 minutes in from Nicholas Fulkrug, they just folded. They looked like uh, they lost their plan. They lost all faith in themselves. Bremen, of course, your boys, they were fine. They were not wonderful, but that was way more than enough to get a win in Gelsenkirchen. Nick, first things first, uh, Florian Kofeld made a very crucial change in his starting 11. I kind of tipped it already uh, by one of the names that I said earlier, but uh, this proved to be something of a masterstroke. Yeah, I mean, there were several changes. So Velkovic came into the center of defense, uh, didn't have an awful lot to do. He was great. He was really good. For a little bit further upfield, you had John manuel Mbon, uh, who made his Bundesliga debut and uh, looked like... Uh, Looked like, uh, you know, like he could be potentially the guy who's solving the, the holding midfield problem for Werder. But, you know, let's hold our horses on that one, given that his, it was only a match against Schalke, who are pretty much uh, in dire straits at the moment. And yeah, yes, as you tipped it off a little bit uh, earlier, um, Niklas Fulkeruk came in for Davy Selke. And, uh, you know, the, the difference between Davy Selke and Niklas Fulkeruk is that 
Phil Crook is maybe a little bit more of a thrifty sort of striker. He uh, roams a little bit more. He is a little bit more agile. He is uh, a little bit better at keeping hold of the ball. And he, he gives you another edge uh, in the penalty area. And uh, you saw that for, for that first goal, your typical poacher goal. Uh, he tends to be in the right positions at the right time. And for the second goal, he just got across from Ludwig Augustinsson, who's now on, uh, I think, three assists out of the seven goals Werder have scored so far this season in all competitions. So Werder really um, made, they drew the right conclusions from that dreadful 4-1 defeat against Hertha Berlin. And um, yeah, uh, I think that 3-1 scoreline in the end was uh, rather flattering for Schalke as Werder could have produced more goals, actually. Uh, Josh Sargent actually had a couple of chances that he missed and uh, should have done better on. Schalke really didn't produce anything of note until that goal. Um, as you said, they they looked fine. Uh, they looked like they had a handle on on the Verda attack for for you know the first fifteen minutes or so. But um, after that, they just completely folded and they didn't know what to do. Uh, the players were out of it. Erjan Kabak even had a nasty episode where he spat at Ludwig Augustinsson. DFB is now looking into that. Uh, Kabak was also sent off with a second yellow card, but he might actually get a, a lengthy suspension for, you know, trying to spit at an opponent, which the referee didn't spot and VR surprisingly didn't spot. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd situation in that certainly um, the, you know, the company that does the, the television broadcasts for the DFL Sportcast, Sportcast certainly, certainly caught it. We were showed uh, te- as television viewers this this spit uh, a few minutes after, but, you know, maybe not quickly enough to, to bring up any kind of VAR proceeding. I mean... Kabak was pretty adamant after the game that he did not do it intentionally. He he reached out to Augustinson personally. He then tweeted the fact that he uh, uh, had spoken to Augustinson. He wanted to make clear that, you know, the, the, the pictures make it look like it was on purpose, but he swears up and down that he did not do it on purpose. I don't know how, whether that that's going to get him anywhere in front of the, the DFB, uh, you know, judges, but he swears it's not not that way. I mean, if if, the, if there's video footage of you stabbing your wife and you're saying, you know, I apologize to my wife and uh, I, I, you know, it wasn't intentional. I, I, you know, I, that, that it's, knife it's not what it looks like, it. Um, Nick. It's not what it looks like. It's, it's not what it looks like. I mean, um, is a judge going to say, yeah, okay, you're, you're a good lad. Uh, you, you're free. You're free to go. Well, maybe in the in the United States if you have enough money and uh, can lawyer up. But um, elsewhere, you might get a lengthy sentence for that. So. Yeah, I, you know, it looks intentional. And um, if the spit don't fit, yes. you must quit. There you go. But yeah, as for Schalke, um, something positive came actually out of it. Uh, we, we mentioned the guy on Twitter who said that uh, he was going to uh, donate uh, some money if uh, David Wagner was out of a job uh, 24 hours after that Schalke match and uh, after that Verda match. And uh, he came through on it. You know, he said he would give... Uh, 1500 euros or something if, if uh, Wagner was out uh, out of a job uh, um, within 24 hours after the game and uh, he even added 500 euros because Nicholas Wolterkrug scored a hat-trick so um, children's charity in, in Bremen uh, can look forward to 2000 euros of money on their bank account excellent excellent that's a that's a great example of of turning 
some serious misfortune into into something good. On that tip, you know, similar to this guy's reasoning, it is good for Schalke fans, at least the ones who are tired or fed up with David Wagner, uh, that, to have him him gone. It's also maybe good to have uh, Mark Oot, the uh, returning from from his uh, loan in Cologne last year, uh, get off the mark. That was something he really had a lot of trouble doing uh, during his first stint at Schalke. I'm not going to go so far as to say that you know he's you know going to be there like Mister Everything Talisman, but a guy who basically couldn't score for you know uh, if his life depended on it the first time he was around, getting a really pretty goal, even a garbage time sort of uh, you know Ergebnis cosmetic. That's some German you know Sprechensee Fußball uh, there about uh, a goal that doesn't mean anything that just sort of makes the the result look slightly less damning or 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 bigger if if it's the the, the team on on the higher end of things that can't be a terrible thing can it yeah it, you know it was actually the the best move they produced in the in the second half and yeah that shot from 18 yards out was was sweet he hit that really well and um well you know i mean um Schalke do have the personnel and they do have a lot of things in place that would suggest that they should be a lot higher up the table. Granted, they haven't done their usual summer shopping spree and they, you know, they haven't gone, gotten in the quality that you would expect from a team that uh, pushes for Champions League or Europa League finish. But, um, you know, these these players like Kabak and, you know, uh, Rudy and uh, Ochipka in defense uh, and further up the field, like uh, Ut, um, you know, you would expect the, the core, of, core of these guys to push for something at least in the top half of the table. But uh, apparently they, they haven't been able to do so for the last 18 matches. And uh, in the end, the, there was only one right answer, uh, fire the coach and... Uh, you know, when when you when you haven't won in eighteen matches, uh, you you cannot say that Schalke haven't given David Wagner a fair chance. Yep, yep. I mean, it's really interesting. There there has definitely been a stream of criticism since uh, David Wagner has been fired. You know, trying to sort of retroactively damn the club for not doing it sooner or, or, or saying that, you know, if you were going to fire the guy, you should have done it at the end of last season to give a new person a full preseason. And I, I agree with all that. That's all true. But it doesn't also mean that you shouldn't go ahead and, and, and fire him now, because it seemed to me that whatever momentum he was able to build at the beginning of last season uh, was absolutely nowhere to be found in this one. And I, I don't have any, you know, genuine personal insight as to what's going on between him and and that squad. But it certainly seems to me that they aren't um, terribly motivated. They weren't terribly motivated to uh, to work for him. Um, oddly enough, they aren't left with a lot of great options uh, when it comes to replacements. I mean, the one that seem to be sort of on a lot of people's minds is, uh, you know, a very big, very good option in Ralph Rangnick, who has coached Schalke twice in the past and, and left under somewhat unusual circumstances in both cases. And there's a, there's a sense of unfinishedness with him and that club. But, you know, he said some stuff over the weekend that made it sound like he was thinking about it. And then, you know, today, Monday has said some stuff that makes it sound like actually he's not thinking about it and that this is just not the right time with them in sort of the middle of a crisis. And, 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 you know, he likes to be both coach and sporting director ideally. And that's not something that, that Shakov seems prepared to do. They don't really have any trump cards to play here, do they? 
Nah, I mean, I, I do understand why Schalke would be reluctant to give guys that much power at the club. I mean, they felt like they got burned the last time they did so with Felix Maggot. And uh, I mean, right now you do have sort of wild cards around. Uh, you have uh, Dimitrios Gramotsis, uh, who was last seen at Darmstadt. Uh, they did fairly well in the Bundesliga too. Uh, Alexander Zorninger has been brought up. Um, he uh, he had a, a dreadful stint at VfB Stuttgart, where they were f- yeah, you could call it ill-fated, far too attacking. I mean, his his philosophy um, it makes Jurgen Klopp look like a, a defensive-minded coach. I mean that that pressing, pressing, pressing for ninety minutes that that didn't go over well in Stuttgart, and and the players rebelled in the end. Um, he did he did well in Denmark. Uh, stayed for a few years at the second biggest club in Copenhagen, uh, Brøndby. Um, actually, once saw them play under him, uh, where they um, sort of did, did an awful lot of pressing. Even saw uh, uh, Hani Mukhtaria uh, score a goal for Brøndby back then, uh, former Hertha player. Yeah, and also in present uh, MLS Nashville uh, Nashville SC player. Yeah, well, you know, Zorniger might might just be uh, too risky a, a bat right now, and you know, you know the the other guys you have, Valerian Ismail, who has been mentioned. <laughs> My lord, he did. He didn't do an awful, awful lot at Wolfsburg, did he? And he oh man, he was terrible there. He was terrible at Nuremberg. I, I was so surprised that he did well at uh, at Lask down in in Austria. Truthfully, yeah, I mean he's, he's had some stints in, in in smaller leagues and done fairly well there. And uh, you know the other the other name that was mentioned last week, Xander Schwartz, uh, Mainz. Uh, as we said last week, probably not an ideal solution, but you, you sort of know what you get with Sandra Schwartz. And, and finally, Manuel Baum, uh, who fell out with his place at Augsburg, has also been mentioned. Um, Manuel Baum is actually a sports teacher. So I think his deal was that when, when he got out of coaching in the Bundesliga, he would return to his job as being a, a gymnastics teacher uh, at a high school in Augsburg. So he um, you know, he, he might just he might just be stuck grading papers at the moment. So uh, I don't know if he's really available. Dude, I've been stuck grading papers this weekend. It's, it's a bummer. You, you'd rather coach in the Bundesliga? Is that what you're saying? I would glad. I would much rather coach Schalke. <laughs> Strange as that sounds. <laughs> Although I, I I would recommend against it, Schalke. I, I, please please don't call. Yeah, I, I that list of of candidates. Nothing much gives me a lot of uh, confidence. I guess the only one that that sort of interests me much at all is Toninga, just because <laughs> I love bizarrely attacking football. Like, I I so much would rather see a game end 5-4 than 1-0, like, by a million percent. So if we can have more of that in the Bundesliga, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I mean, one, one of the most entertaining matches I ever saw was actually Zorniger's 5B against Bayer Leverkusen, coached by Roger Schmidt. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, Roger Schmidt, <laughs> what's he doing at the moment? He's at uh, PSV. Well, there you go. Um, he, you know, he, he might be up for it. Yeah, it's weird. He, he, he did not get his name mentioned a whole lot uh, among uh, recent Bundesliga sort of vacancies. I, I really wanted him at Hertha, uh, truthfully. But, you know, it sounded like it sounded like maybe he's he, he was really looking for the right thing. And PSV. Is a, is a club that it's pretty easy to take it into the Champions League, so that probably appealed to him. You know? Yeah, it would, it would. But you know, yeah, you just gotta beat like Heracles and uh, Nak Breda. I mean, how hard could that be? Mm. Let's let's talk now uh, about where 
our other club in search of a coach might be looking. They gave the boot, Mites, that is. They they, they, they gave the boot to Achim uh, Bayerlotzer this weekend, or I guess it didn't happen until Monday, following that heavy home defeat at the hands of Stuttgart. Mites actually scored first in this game uh, through through uh, Robin Quaison in, in the 13th minute. But, you know, in truth, that was... Even that goal was against the run of play. I, I felt that Stuttgart dominated this game. Uh, they were pretty sloppy through most of the first half and didn't actually get on the board until the very end. But, um, you know, Silas Wamangatuga, the guy who scored that first goal, a really nice, tight angle, one-time shot on the run. Uh, he was great on the right wing. I think he really looked good. Sasha Kaladzic, that tall beanpole of a, of a striker. He's so tall that, uh, you know, I noticed Mites had to bring back um, Jean-Philippe Mateta, who is almost as tall as him, to cover him on set pieces because there's no one else who is anywhere near as tall as him. He was pretty good up front, finally got a goal at the end of that game. I, I came away from this game thinking that um, Stuttgart, you know, are probably going to have some trouble against teams who are a little uh, a little tidier at their defending and and a little bit, um, you know, better uh, going forward than Mites. But I definitely came away thinking that this is a team who has a chance to to stay in the league, a very good chance, really. But, you know, we're, we're not here to talk about Stuttgart. We're here to talk about Mites, right? Right, Nick? Yeah. One, one last point about Stuttgart. Six, six goals from uh, from two matches against, you know, um, Freiburg and Mainz. Uh, it bodes it well. It bodes well for them. Uh, but, yeah, Mainz, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really that up on Mainz. I mean, they're usually sort of that quiet club that sort of hovers along. Sometimes they play Europa League campaign and most of the times they just finish in mid-table. So I thought um, to answer my questions and, you know, we even had listener questions about Mainz. Indeed. Uh, Andy, Andy Minger. Yeah, Andreas from Bulgaria. Andreas from Bulgaria. He, he wonders, uh, quote, um, this is a really messed up situation. That uh, the things that have, have happened at Mainz. How could all parties, July and the rest of the team, the club, how can they manage to find a solution and go ahead? So, you know, with that in mind, I actually called up Michael Ebert, who is Kickers beat reporter in Mainz. So uh, I asked him what had happened during midweek before the match, how the match turned out uh, from Mainz's perspective. And where the club is going to go from here. So here's my interview with uh, Michael Ebert. Thanks for joining us on uh, Talking Fußball, Michael. How are you doing today? Yeah, very fine, but it's a busy day, as you know. <laughs> I can imagine. So Mainz are not necessarily the sort of club that makes a lot of national headlines because of unrest at the club. However, one of those rare occasions took place last week. Uh, what happened last week? Yeah, it, it was a very interesting week for Mainz and uh, you never uh, can write so much articles as last week. And uh, the first point was on Monday, the club announced that Adam Jorla, the Hungarian captain uh, of the national team, um, should uh, look for another club. And it was, uh, yeah, nobody expect this. And, uh, yeah, it was one of the points that uh, the whole team on Wednesday uh, get in a strike, in a boycott of the, um, of the practice in the afternoon. And, yeah, this is uh, one point you normally couldn't imagine that it would happen in Mainz, yes. Mm. 
But why do you think the players reacted that way? Because, uh, I mean, players like Shorlai being told that they need to find employment elsewhere is actually a common thing within the world of professional football after all. Why, why, why did the re team react in such fashion? Is it because he's such a popular guy? At, at one side, he's popular. He's also in the uh, in a circle of the team uh, with important players. They they elect him for this circle in summer, and at this moment, they didn't get the information that he has also uh, problems with uh, the coach, and uh, he has a kind of disrespectful acting to Mr. Bayerlotzer. And yes, this all and also a discussion about uh, they should uh, spend uh, a part of their money for the club uh, because of Corona. This all things, uh, yeah, it, it make them uh, a big discussion and they come to the training in the afternoon and at first uh, they want to get clear what's the reason and then they want to discuss about the money and things like this and all this. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a quite difficult day for all people in minds in the club. <laughs> so with that sort of a run-up to, to the game on Saturday, uh, it might not necessarily come as a surprise that Mainz lost this match 4-1 against newly promoted VfB Stuttgart. Uh, quickly, how would you describe the team's performance in that match? Yeah, at the beginning, they seemed very nervous. They lost easy uh, easy uh, balls and uh, didn't get their normal performance. And uh, but after this, with the first attack to to the Stuttgart goal, they make the one zero for Mainz, and they get a little bit uh, self confidence. But after a few minutes, uh, all has done again, uh, gone again, and uh, then they uh, get a defeat one to four. And uh, yeah, normally uh, it was not the normal performance of the team. Mm. So in the end, that 4-1 defeat and the internal uh, unrest proved a little bit too much for Achim Bailotz and his position at the club. He was sacked today on Monday. Um, so who's going to handle Mainz's training sessions going forward? And are there any candidates to take over after Bailotz? So on Friday, they play at Union Berlin. Uh, Jan Moritz Lichte, it's his assistant, will uh, sit on the bench. And uh, but it's only a, a, sh a short-term uh, solution. They are looking for another uh, top trainer, and yeah, you you also have the problem that they still pay two managers. Uh, so Bayerlotz and also Sandro Schwarz. Their contract. Uh, is till 2022 and they have not much money to uh, to spend for another coach and it's also a discussion about it's possible that Sandro will return to the bench uh, this would be a quite unusual uh, solution uh, but yeah uh, nobody knows about uh, how it will come <laughs> so quite quite a uh 
<laughs> quite some days ahead for the officials at Mainz finding a solution to that one. You mentioned in one of your articles last week that the relationship between Achim Bayerlotzer and his team was also difficult last season. To remind our listeners, Mainz were actually entangled in, in the battle against relegation for quite some time and they managed to pull themselves out of it by a... Uh, a win, a surprising win against Borussia Dortmund towards the end of the season. Until that point, it looked like a three-horse race for that relegation playoff spot between them, Werder Bremen and Fortuna Düsseldorf. So can you expand on the sort of issues that the team were having with Bayer back then as well? They uh, they had, after the game against Union Berlin last season, they, uh, the team asked for a meeting f with all and also with the coach. And they told him they want more advice from him to how to play and how to uh, find solutions. And um, But I think he, he really didn't uh, react on this. Uh, one of the reasons was uh, Ruben Schröder as a sports director. He returns to the bench. Uh, in, of, uh, in case of Corona, he goes uh, on the Tribune first and he returns to the bench. And he becomes uh, like an emotional leader in this construction. And this Uh, automatically uh, it undermined the authority of Bayerlotza. So it was a quite uh, difficult uh, situation. Mm. You mentioned Ruben Schroeder there. So he's the man who uh, played a vital role in signing Bayerlotza to begin with. He put him on a three-year contract uh, with uh, Zandra Schwartz still being on the payroll. And he signed most of the players Um who are at the club. Uh, so how is Schroeder's position after all this? Uh, is this whole saga going to put him in some trouble as well? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to see. Uh, at, one, uh, at one side, the club make a mistake last week when they announced official that the uh, chairman of the uh, of the club, uh, yeah, it's uh, the leader of the Aufsichtsrat, I don't know the English word, what is it, do you know it? The, the board. The board, the, board. the le leader of the board, he he will uh, make meetings with the players and this also, if you announce this official, uh, it also undermines the authority of the sports director. And so, You see, it's a very complicated situation in Mainz, but I don't think uh, he will also uh, be sacked because uh, his his work is not so uh, bad. He in the last years he always make uh, good transfers. They uh, get more more money than they spend and. His contract is till uh, 2024, though you also uh, must uh, think about if they uh, if he they look for another sports director, the uh, financial problems will get bigger and bigger. Though they don't have really the money to uh, change all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that it sounds like a pricey suggestion. Uh, well, um, one last follow-up question to to your last point is of the club needing money. Uh, do do you think it's likely that Mainz are going to sell any players uh, before the transfer window shuts on October fifth? 
It could be. Uh, our information is that uh, from England, you uh, the you have interest to the French player Musa Niakate, the defender. Yes, and uh, I think he is the best candidate also for the Swedish player um, Quaison, Robin Quaison. Uh, you have interest from England, but uh, now in the moment, it's only uh, one week to go to the end of the transfer f- uh, window. And now in the moment, uh, Ruben Schroeder has another themes uh, than to sell players. So I don't, uh, I couldn't imagine how he can, um, yeah, how he can uh, with the agents uh, have the contact uh, very good, but perhaps he will find some clubs still. Yeah. Mm, excellent. All right. That was some the late some of the latest con- transfer gossip there at the end from mice as well. Uh, Michel, uh, thanks for joining us. Bef- before I let you go, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter if they want to follow the yeah. latest news from Mainz. Yeah, the news are in German. I'm sorry, but if you <laughs> want to follow <laughs> it. Uh, it's uh, Michael six zero three one eight. All right, excellent. Uh, hopefully, we have you back on soon. Until then, bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Excellent. All right, Michel Ebert. Um, you, you can hardly get uh, a more expert voice uh, about a Bundesliga club uh, than than the, the kicker beat writer for that club. I mean, I suppose if you can get the if you can get the uh, sporting director, he'll tell you a certain certain tale that might um put put some put some extra spin in in the right direction for the club um and and that's certainly worth listening to reuven reuven didn't answer my calls he didn't answer my calls <laughs> yeah reuven reuven he's 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 kind of busy right now he's he's looking for zandra schwarz's number which he he deleted from his phone but you know he he thinks that maybe somebody else in the office might have it, you know. <laughs> they're having a search party Nice, nice. Um, all right. Well, um, let's leave behind the, uh, the the coaching searches at Schalke and Mites, uh, as well as some, um, you know, the, the the good performances relatively uh, from from Werder and Stuttgart, and now talk about the crazy, the crazy upsets, the absolute stunners this weekend. Um, Hoffenheim just dismantled FC Bayern München. I was. So shocked, and I have to say so pleased. Um, this was the best performance against a Bayern side since Hansi Flick has taken over uh, at Bayern. I mean, Sebastian Hoeneß, of course, was the Bayern Zwei, the, the Bayern reserve uh, coach until this summer, so he probably has a pretty good idea of what's going on at the club and who can do what. But man, they came with a game plan. They took Bayern apart. I mean, as, as, as insane as it sounds... Like 4-1 was an entirely appropriate score here. I mean, how was it that Hoffenheim just walked into this game so ready and and had their way with Bayern? <laughs> well, I mean, they took certain advantages of uh, of Bayern's high line. I mean, yeah. Bayern are oh, the yeah. team playing further up the pitch in, in, in Europe right now. I mean, they and Liverpool are actually competing for that at the moment. Hernes knew that and he, he you know, he, he fielded the players who could break at pace. Um, additionally, he uh, also knew that Bayern had had some troubles defending corner kicks and free kicks and such. Uh, I mean, that is one of their weak points. So the first goal, Emin Bikacic uh, from, you know, got got there first on a corner kick, had it into goal. Um, 
second goal, well, what a sumptuous lob by uh, Dabu when Ooh. you know the ball sort of just came to him uh, and he was free and uh, running towards Manuel Neuer alone. And in the second half, you know, there was that guy we talked about last week, Kramaric, who's now on nine goals in the last three matches. And six of those goals have come against Borussia Dortmund and Bayern München. I love it when players make us look good. You know, we talk about them one week, they kick ass the next week. It, it just makes us look good. It does, especially if they go on and do so against, you know, the big boys in the league. And um, yeah, as you said, the, the, the win was was thoroughly deserved. I mean, uh, in terms of the XG and all the other stats, uh, Hoffenheim actually had the better chances. Uh, they had the higher XG oh, sure. uh, than Bayern. I would think it was 3.8 to 1.6. I mean, it was a it was a wide margin. It was a wide margin. I mean, if you know, if you, if you would have compared shots, I think Bayern actually... Um, had as many shots as Hoffenheim. But, you know, the, the fact that Hoffenheim created as many shots as Bayern in itself is uh, surprising. And the fact that they were more high-quality shots, uh, better positions uh, for the players, you know, is, is surprising as well. And add to that that Manuel Neuer gave away a penalty. I don't think that Manuel Neuer has had that many players one towards him on their own in quite some time. You, sometimes you just got to test and see if uh, see if the killer is still still uh, as scary as he once was. I mean, he certainly did not come out on top in some of those duels um, this past weekend. He didn't, and I mean, uh, and you know, as we, we talked about the qualities of buying chances, it's actually quite telling that their only goal came from a, from a shot from outside the area from uh, Joshua Kimmich. Sumptuous shot that one as well. Pretty much, I mean, we had so many pretty goals this week. Um, which is, uh, you know, we could, if we did a goal of the week still, uh, I think we could be stuck, we would be stuck for quite some time to decide which one. But uh, that one definitely candidate. I mean, he he put that under the crossbar and uh, was so well placed. And uh, yeah, what a goal. But um, in the end, uh, you know, it, that, that, that defeat even left Bayern's players um, speechless of, you know, searching for reasons because they they quite didn't know how, what had happened to them. Uh, um, Thomas Miller went before the press after the match saying, well, you know, uh, one thing is for sure, nobody in the team actually gave up and we tried our darndest and, uh, you know, we, we just couldn't co come out on, on top today. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of the undercurrents of this game is, um, you know, some of the changes that were... Uh, made to the side. I mean, Robert Lewandowski did not start and, uh, you know, it was, it was Joshua Zierkse who started in his place. Um, Leon Goretzka did not start. Corentin Tolisso uh, started. And the context here is, is not only do they just want to sort of establish maybe a, a degree of, of regular rotation in the side, but also this game, this game came in between, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but it came in between a couple of stupid exhibition games you know the uefa super cup uh at the end of uh midweek last week and then we have the the, the dfl super cup uh midweek this week especially in the context of what we're living through right now uh, especially the sort of the, the the negative um sort of surroundings of the game in in budapest where, uh, a city where there is basically uh, an incipient COVID outbreak happening. Why did they play the game? Why did they have fans? Do we really need to be playing these unnecessary games? Not only from a sort of, you know, public health slash, you know, modesty, whatever perspective, but like, you know, Bayern 
are they really psyched about these games? I hope they're not. I mean, Hansi Flick was asked after the match, uh, if you were a fan, would you have traveled to Budapest? And his answer was, no, of course not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean that that might give you might give you a hint of what what he thought about that match, but uh, yeah, I think um, what we're seeing in the world of football right now is is the fact that money talks, and uh, it's true, and we, they need money more than ever. At the it moment. does, and uh, you know that's why they're still having those silly exhibition matches, and. Um, most summers we could have we could have done specials during the summer break about the crazy transfers going on and such. And uh, you know, this summer um, we really haven't had that much movement on the transfer market, and most deals tend to be loans right now. Um, I mean, the only outlier here is is the Premier League and Chelsea, especially. But um, at the end of the day, um, financially speaking, uh, we are in a, in a really tight spot. And uh, the world of football feels that as well. And, you know, now that Angela Merkel came out and said, the most important thing is to keep schools and kindergartens open and football is really a secondary concern to me. It it shows that the priorities of those who govern might be elsewhere than, you know, keeping the Bundesliga rolling and keeping fans coming to the stadium. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, at present, I think things have been handled pretty well, which is to say... You know, fans have been let in in limited numbers. Most of them seem to have behaved themselves quite well. And and also the fact that we're still having clubs bow to the authority of local public health officials. I mean, like that that game uh, between Schalke and Werder Bremen, they were supposed to have fans. And then the, uh, you know, the, the city health officials decided the morning of the game, you know, 12 hours, whatever, before the game, they were like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. And so they didn't have fans and everybody lived to fight another day. I mean, we have to keep in mind that this is <laughs> this is not a joke. This is not just like how how quickly can we get back to normal and make our money. We still have to, you know, do this right. Yeah, we do. And um I mean, we do have some promising vaccines that might get approval within the EU uh at the end of the year. And um I mean if you think, okay, we get that vaccine at the end of the year and um, then everybody will be vaccinated and, um, yeah, we can go to, you know, living a normal life in the Rückrunde. Nah, think again. I mean, vaccines need to be produced and um, they need to be distributed fairly and they need to be distributed to those who need them the most. So um, what m pretty much all countries are going to do is they're going to give it to those who are most at risk at first and healthcare personnel. And... After that, it's a case of just giving that vaccine to the population step by step. And, um, you know, that that is probably going to take all of 2021. So um, I, I'd say we'd be lucky if we get half full stadiums uh, at the beginning of next season. I mean, that that's where we're at. And uh, I, I think football's officials know that. And, uh, you know, as I said, that that's why you don't see that activity on the transfer market and such um, and uh, you know players wages maybe not um, going up in the manner they have gone up in the, over the last few years yeah all right well we, we we mentioned we mentioned the DFL Super Cup I think that's that's probably 
enough. It is a game. It is happening on Wednesday. It is between Bayern Munich and uh, the, the team we're about to talk about because they also lost rather surprisingly uh, this weekend. That's uh, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, this was another pretty unexpected result. Augsburg were the team that defeated Dortmund. I was pretty surprised, but you know, maybe in retrospect, maybe maybe we're gonna change our minds about that. Um, maybe maybe we'll address that more later in, in a listener question. I think we're gonna come up. I mean, Augsburg. They were good in this game. They they looked pretty good, right? They did. And you know what's what's surprising about FCA is is, is the fact that they always defy expectations. I mean, I had I had them picked as one of the relegation candidates this season, and sure, here they. It's always tempting. Here they are, two games, six points. Um, and you know, as as in the match against Union Berlin, they once again they were brutally effective. Um. They're good at sitting back, absorbing pressure, and um, you know taking their chances when they come come along. I mean, they they got the first goal of the game from a free kick swung in from the left hand side. Uh, Udekai uh, left criminally alone in the box, and you know he just had it at home. And uh, you know for the second goal, uh, Daniel Caligiuri, that you know youngster at uh, what what is he now? Thirty two, thirty three. Uh, he just. Um, <laughs> he is 32. 32. He's, he sprinted away from uh, new signing Thomas Monnier. Um, and Monnier really looked dreadful in that situation, not really getting his body in between uh, Caligiuri and the ball and uh, allowing Caligiuri basically to have a free shot on goal. And uh, Caligiuri said, thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. And uh, put... Put Augsburg 2-0 ahead. And, uh, you know, at that point, Dortmund had created some shots, a uh, few decent half chances and such. Um, but they weren't really uh, humming along uh, as they were last week against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And um, for that reason, I mean, I think it's it's, it's, it's a deserved win for Augsburg, who um, really were patient, defended well, and took their chances when they arrived. And... Uh, as, as Bill said, they, they sort of uh, provided a, a blueprint of what sites uh, of lower quality can do against them if they want to get a result. And um, for Dortmund, it's, it's, it's another sort of case of deja vu, as, as they had that tendency last season as well when they fought at hurdles um, that they should have overcome and lost points. And uh, the last two seasons, they've done so on so many occasions they've, um they've done it against Augsburg. i mean you you know you can point to that match against bayern last season and say oh well that hand ball by jerome boateng that wasn't given and, and all that crap but um when, when you look back at that season and when you see the sort of matches where they drew or, or lost um against these sort of opponents uh you can really say that's where they lost you know the grip on, on, on the salad bowl. Yep, yep. I mean, it was, um, in a lot of ways, seeing Bayern slip up a day later uh, seemed like a real get-out-of-jail-free card. But I think what might also be worth talking about is is a listener question that we got um, from, from Simon uh, on Twitter asking uh, which of these surprise teams in this top half have the best chance of staying there and, and, and you know, which teams have had the most disappointing starts to the campaign. I mean, I guess maybe I was sort of pushing this already, thinking that um, Augsburg, to me, maybe look a little stronger than I expected. I'm beginning to, to have some belief. Obviously, we have Hoffenheim, Augsburg, 
uh, on top level on on six points, uh, followed by a group of four point teams, which is to say Frankfurt, Leipzig, who we expect, and then Freiburg and Bielefeld. Also, uh, pretty surprising. Are there are there ones that you know out of that group that you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm buying it. Yeah, I've, I've actually enjoyed Freiburg so far. Um, I think they they've been good. Um, you know, they're, they're always a bit topsy-turvy and uh, they, they can lose badly some weeks but uh, and unexpectedly. But yeah, I, I think Freiburg looked like a good proposition. I mean, there, there are still some questions about, you know, Koch leaving, uh, Waldschmidt leaving. But they, they are seemingly finding answers and um, Nils Patterson seems to be in, in fine form. Oh, dude, that goal, that first, that first goal, like the glancing header, like that was... That, that was still vintage vintage Peterson loved it absolutely and you know I'm, I'm I'm so happy for him that he sort of found his place within German football he didn't really fit at Werder Bremen or Bayern München but at Freiburg it, it seems to be the perfect fit and he seems to have the, the perfect coach for himself there and uh, you know another player Santa Maria um he seems to be a really good strong signing so um you know going forward I, I do expect Freiburg to surprise us every now and then um as for beautiful, I think they'll drop off. No, yeah, no way, no way for them. They're they're, they're hanging on for dear life, which is fine. That's what they that's what they're here for. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the next week they have Werder Bremen. If if they get another result there, they you know might look good after three match days. But um, yeah, uh, for that I uh, for that I, I think they'll drop off. Eintracht Frankfurt uh, looked good on the weekend. So, yeah. but questions there in, in terms of Kostic being out. Uh, Augsburg, yeah. I think Augsburg and Freiburg are, would probably be my two picks for, for the teams that potentially could surprise us after two match days. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's still still early on, yeah. but yeah, Augsburg and, and Freiburg. I would probably lean towards Hoffenheim and Frankfurt. Um, Hoffenheim um, and Frankfurt, I would say both of them kind of underachieved last year. They, they But would you really be surprised if Hoffenheim with that crop of players would reach uh, Europa League? I mean, if they if they reached the Champions League, I'd say yeah, they they overperformed. Sure. But um, I mean, top half of the top half of the table finish uh, should with should be within reach. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't read that question to mean who do you think is going to stay in the top half? Who you didn't think would be there? I just thought you know who, who, who's 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 going to surprise. Is there anybody who is looking worse than you expected to sort of, you know, hand off to the second half of that question? I mean, I guess Cologne is really the 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 answer there, other than the fact that I didn't have terribly high hopes for them to begin with. Yeah, I mean, Wolfsburg have had sort of a strange start to the season. I mean, they they looked outdone by Freiburg, and they 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 should have. <laughs> well, they they love to draw. They always love to draw. They, they should have lost that match, but uh, the, the other week they should have won against Leverkusen. So they they've had sort of a strange start to the season. Uh, yeah, Köln definitely look like they're struggling. Uh, Schalke, of course, but you know they're now no new coach coming in. Same with Mainz. So too early to tell with the, with those two sides. Um, and well, I mean. I don't know. I, I I guess Dortmund has had the most disappointing start in, in that regard, given that Augsburg should have been a fairly beatable side for them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I guess they are technically a bottom half side right now, Dortmund, oddly enough. Okay. Let's look forward to the second half of the show after a quick break.
All right, that was your break, folks. This is Talking Foosball. This is uh, part two of the show. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Nick Wildhagen. We're going to kick things off with the rest of match day two um, with, I guess, a quick discussion of uh, Hertha and Eintracht and their Friday night game. Uh, obviously, this was a game that I was I was quite looking forward to, but I was disappointed because Hertha were, were defeated 3-1 uh, by Eintracht. I mean, this was a really, this was a game of two halves, classic game of two halves. I mean, Eintracht um, were much better in the first half and, and Hertha were much better in the second. But the difference really was that Eintracht way more clinical in their finishing and Hertha way more careless in their defending. I mean, Andre Silva, let's talk about Andre Silva. He's not only a good, a good striker. Uh, he, he's on a real uh, scoring tear. I think him and, and Kramaric are, are probably the two best goal scorers outside of, uh, you know, the usual suspects uh, over the last several games, if you're stretching back to next season, but I'm also going to nominate him as one of the best at the fine art of falling over at the right moment. I mean, I do not mean, I mean, obviously in the heat of the moment, uh, I, I, I intend as much shade as possible to this behavior. But when I take a step back, actually, this is just a guy who knows how to sell contact um, and, and get fouls when he wants to get fouls. Um, this is an art that many, many players could learn Um a bit more from him from, I mean, for example, Gio Reyna, who ended, ended up getting his penalty uh, last week for Dortmund, but almost didn't because he didn't sell the contact very well. He oversold it. <laughs> um, Andre Silva got himself lots of fouls in this game. He earned a penalty for the first, uh, for the first goal of the game, which he then converted himself uh, from a, you know, pretty dumb Dedrick Boyata challenge. That was just basically, it was like dangling a, a penalty in front of uh, Andre Silva's face. And he was like, yeah, I'll take it. And of course then, you know, Hertha's defense were caught totally napping uh, on a free kick right before halftime. And, you know, big Bas Dost did, didn't his, Big Bas Dost act. He just hammered the ball with his head, uh, and and suddenly it was two nil at halftime. I thought, truthfully though, Hertha were were way better in the second half. They just didn't quite get much out of it. I mean, Sebastian Roda, that was a great goal. Another um, amazing sort of curling shot from distance. We saw uh, several of this week. Eagles were up three nil with uh, I think seventy one minutes gone, and even though you know Hertha got one back, Jordan Torino Riga on a really nice run from a center back cut it back and, and you know, Martin Hinteregger pretty much had to just put it into the goal or else, you know, John Cordoba would have done it for him. Hertha had other chances to, to get, you know, another goal back, but, you know, really there was just a deep hole that they had dug for themselves. I actually came out, out of this game thinking that, that both of these teams um, are pretty good. Um, they both knew how to create chances. They both fought really, really hard in midfield. If there was one thing that was a bit jarring about this game is I thought, you know, Bastian Dunkert, who was the, the referee, was probably a little too loose in this game. We had some injuries uh, as well as some kind of ill feeling uh, between the two teams because I think the game got kind of away from him. Um, but I am not terribly disappointed about this result other than the fact that, you know, my boys lost. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we, we talked about uh, Eintracht last week and we said that they had sort of a disappointing start to the season given that they only drew 1-1 uh, against uh, Amelia Bielefeld and they struggled to create chances. But in, in this one, they um, turned it up a notch and uh, they created those chances in the first half. And uh, yeah, they, they took them when they got them. And, uh, you know, when you're 3-0 up, uh, you can actually relax and, uh, you know, let the other side attack and... Uh, yeah, they, they only conceded one goal. And uh, Martin Hinteregger now on, on five own goals, yeah. which uh, 
uh, puts him in, a, in sort of a, a very strange club as he's only one goal, own goal away from from the record in in, in the Bundesliga, uh, which is currently held by uh, Nikolsen Noveski and Manfred Kaltz on six own goals. Oh, I think he's definitely, definitely got it in him. As long as he sticks around in the Bundesliga, he's... He just he likes to get in the mix, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes that means uh, own goals. Let's see. We ha- we did have a listener question uh, from who is that? Uh, Kaka Arctic. Uh, this is uh, a fellow in San Diego whose whose actual name is is you know unknown. Uh, wants to hear about Hertha's transfer window. Here, you know they they seem to be linked with tons and tons of players. Of course, they did themselves the great favor of mentioning that they had one, at one point in time uh, thought about maybe calling up Mario Götze uh, over the summer. Fine, whatever. Uh, but how have they? How has their transfer window been? Do they still need to make a move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I think it's been okay. I think it's been a, a bit weird. I mean. You know, Devasio uh, Seifalk is looking like a good addition, although he's not quite made himself into a starter yet. But his 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 substitute appearances have been good. Um, Luca Tussar is good to have around. I mean, his first half, like many players, first half uh, was not super, but you know, he had a couple of nice balls. He had a really cool, um, you know, sort of diagonal cross field ball that that caught um, Dodi Lukabakio on the run and almost got got uh, a goal against the run of play, but like. Yeah, they need to make another move. Um, it seems to me they need, um, you know, as as the team seems to think that they need um, another uh, central midfielder and they need maybe uh, an attacking winger. I think either or in that situation might be okay. Although now that uh, Arne Meyer uh, looks like he's, you know, messed up his knee again, maybe maybe, maybe central midfield is, is is a stronger area of need. I mean, there, there is some talk about Jeff Rain Adelaide from uh, yeah. Olympique Lyon. I mean, it's been quite strange. I mean, because Kicker today wrote that uh, Sven Ulrich actually had an offer on the table uh, from Hertha, and uh, they ended up signing on Schwalov uh, for the position in goal. Uh, Götze, you mentioned, and... Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 been a strange transfer window for them, and 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 you know they they're sort of the outlier in the Bundesliga in terms of spending money during this transfer window because nobody else really has. And well, as we are, you know, we we're not really a live show that happens every day, but we actually can tell you about a transfer that just went through. Bum bum. Um, yes, and and that is uh, Ijan Rustic, who just joined uh, Frankfurt from Groningen. So he's a, he's an attacking player who's just signed a deal until 2023 for um, uh, for the Eagles. Uh, he has played in Groningen for since 2014. He's 23 years old, uh, attacking midfielder. And he's three caps for the Australian national team to his name. So that is certainly one to look out for. And um, you know, maybe maybe that injury to uh, Kostic uh, sped up that transfer. Yep. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean. Groningen have been playing hardball. They played hardball with uh, with Hertha over Seifalk earlier this summer, and the Rustic was was kind of dragging on uh, as well. But um, yeah, um, Kostic is not really clear the nature of his injury. All we know is that there's some sort of tear or partial tear of a, of a you know what the Germans call an Innenband, some sort of you know ligament in his his right knee. Um, but yeah, uh, that is a little bit worrying. Uh, certainly they played fine without him. I mean, they were able to get that, that result home and dry without him. I mean, he, he probably left the game in what the 20 something minute, uh, against, against Hertha. But yeah, that's, that's a, a key player, uh, for, for 
uh, Eintracht, as as Brian Sanders uh, knows, the uh, you know our Eintracht friend who who brought this uh, topic up for us. Um, let's let's talk about the other Berlin team and and their fate this weekend. I, I think that this is uh, definitely also from from the department of, of of overachievement. After you know last week's rather limp opener at home, they went to Gladbach and lo and behold, they got a one one draw. Yeah, uh, Andy Luther, uh, their goalkeeper, having a having a good game, uh, keeping out a few few chances, uh, pulling up a few great great saves, but. Um, as it turns out, uh, Union Berlin wants another keeper as well, and they've just signed Loris Karius, uh, the guy who had a dreadful Champions League final for Liverpool and who has a fair few Bundesliga games to his name from his time at Mainz. So he's joining the Iron ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, this game, it, it saw Glapper having a lot of possession, Glapper having the better chances, uh, but uh, not really great chances. Uh, but in the end of the game, both teams scored from corner kicks. At first, it was Marcus Duram, uh, unmarked in the box, um, heading home uh, his first of the season. And uh, for the second one, uh, Nico Schlotterbeck got his first Bundesliga goal ever after he placed the header uh, perfectly. As perfectly as <laughs> Yeah, it was can. like a, a looping, lobbing header. Yes, looping, lobbing header. And, you know, Lars Stindl was on the line trying to clear it, but it was just inches too short to get to it and you know he touched the ball with his head but um couldn't get there and the balls hit the back of the net and uh, yeah 1-1 probably the worst result for Gladbach but uh Union they got their first point of the season and uh, they'll be happy about that Right on. Another 1-1 draw we saw in, in, in the Bundesliga this weekend. It was between uh, Bayer Leverkusen, who were the home side, and the visitors, uh, Leipzig. This was a pretty, pretty, um, pretty cagey game. I, I think that, you know, when you see these two sides who uh, have a lot of attacking firepower and, and also a lot of, you know, let's, let's face it, um, attacking intent, uh, you think that there's possibly fireworks in the offing, but that this was not really that, was it? Nah, uh, I mean, uh, the, the the both goals came in, in early on in the first half, and uh, at first it was um, Emil Forsberg um, who continues to be important for for the Bulls. As it turns out, his goal came after a goal kick from Glasic that went straight to use of Paulson. Paulson just sort of headed the ball up into the air, and then. Kept hold of the ball against Sven Bender, who really looked clumsy in his efforts to dispossess him. And, uh, you know, Paulson then sent Forsberg on his way um, into the box. And, uh, you know, uh, to make the Bender family uh, humiliation complete, he made Lars look like a complete inept defender. Uh, you know, uh, dribbling around him, and, uh, you know, making him look really out of pace and, um, yeah, smashed at home. A uh, few minutes later, uh, Karim Deribay got got the ball after corner kick was cleared, and he just smashed it home with a thunder, thundering strike from roughly, I think, 18, 20 meters. And that one smashed on the bar. Another one of those beautiful goals that we've talked about. And uh, yeah, yep. in the second half, Leverkusen actually went closer to getting the second goal. Uh, they had a effort by Florian Wirtz hitting the post in the 59th minute. But, you know, both teams had a couple of chances to make it 2-1, but neither of them took it. And in the end, it was probably a fair result, that draw. Uh, I, I got to warn you, Nick, that we we got one more 1-1 draw 
in the Bundesliga, and we, we might as well uh, head over to that game. That was uh, Freiburg and Wolfsburg. I think I think you sort of already mentioned earlier that that you know Wolfsburg seemingly uh, had the better of things last week, and, and nonetheless walked away with just a point. And this time it was more of a they they got a point rather than uh, disappointed. Yeah, I mean, Freiburg had the better chances in that match. Uh, got the, the goal early on from uh, Nils Pittersen Hadder after a corner kick that we mentioned early on. Um, they, the Wolves equalized from a free kick from uh, 17 meters shortly before halftime break. Uh, who was it who hit that free kick? Um, that was uh, Bricalo. Bricalo, yeah. Bricalo, yeah. the Croatian. And um, yeah, got a deflection. Keeper was caught out. And um, in the second half, uh, Freiburg... Uh, had some chances. Santa Maria even hitting the post with a with a shot from distance. But um, screamer. In the end, it wasn't meant to be for Freiburg. And uh, well, all in all, uh, Freiburg probably not unhappy um, with four points after two matches. But uh, they probably feel like they should have been on six. Yeah. Well, you know, there's plenty of time to collect more points. It looks like they might be uh, in the mood to do something like that. Uh, but let's wrap up the show with um, kind of a strange result uh, for a couple of reasons, I guess. Um, one being uh, the winning side in this game amassed a whopping 0.16 expected goals. Uh, but, you know, still managed to score and win. How did they do that? And, and who are they, by the way? It's Arminia Bielefeld who won uh, 1-0 against Köln. Congrats. It's, it's, it's three big points for uh, the, new, the new old new boys. It is. Um, I mean, they, they are the side that has the record in terms of getting promoted to the Bundesliga. I think they've been promoted eight or nine times to the Bundesliga. Um, mm-hmm. It's the record they share with uh, Nuremberg. Currently, they're, they're one behind in terms of getting relegated from the Bundesliga. Uh, when it comes to that record, give them time. Uh, that is that is currently all all Nuremberg's record. But um, yeah, uh, it it was a strange game in in the sense that Köln had a lot of decent chances. Um, some shots from distance. Uh, Ortega and the Arminia Bielefeld goal was uh, busy, but in the second half there there was a long ball towards uh, Johan Simon Edmondson. Uh, who actually is a is a former Viking Stavanger player, so I've seen him play in Stavanger for some time. And uh, you never, I never really thought that. Oh, here goes a scorer of a Bundesliga goal. Whenever I saw him play here in Stavanger, but um, there you go. Strange things happen within the world of football. So yeah, he got sent through. Timo Horn got off his line, uh, trying to you know intercept, and he was then caught in no no man's land. And uh, he managed to push Edmondson out to sort of a narrow angle. Uh, but what Horn did forget to do was that he didn't really shot the door towards the near post in terms of his positioning. Edmondson, who seemingly then tried to just uh, put in a pass, a desperate pass into to the middle of the box, he actually caught out Horn, put it past him uh, towards you know the left side uh, of Horn uh, as he was shooting from the right, and the ball just simply slid into the goal. And you know Edmondson made made a bit of history. He got Amelia's first win in over 4,000 days in the Bundesliga, I think. And additionally, he is the first scorer of a goal from the Faroe Islands in the Bundesliga. Congratulations to uh, everyone in the Faroe Islands for, um, you know, 
making your presence felt in uh, you know the Federal League. Yeah, and uh, should, should we mention a couple of fun facts about the Faroe Islands? Why not? Yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> the Faroe Islands actually don't have a McDonald's. The only fast food restaurant they have is Burger King. Oh, too bad. They actually are. I think they're the only country in the world that doesn't have. Uh, you know that they, they don't. Uh, in terms of the traffic, they only have roundabouts. So you never you never have to stop at a red light in the Faroe Islands. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really good to have you back on the pod for another match day, Nick. Great to be back, and, uh, you know, let's hope I can can do a few more this season. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're all over the place. You're, you know, you can follow Nick on Twitter, of course, at uh, Normusings, but um, he's he's putting up content each and every week over on our Patreon page, the historic Match Day Moments series. Uh, anything you want to tease about Match Day 3? It's going to be a red mist. All right. That sounds violent. Uh, we hope you'll consider supporting the podcast if you want um, uh, red mist or indeed any other type of, of, of historic Match Day Moments content and, and more. Uh, if you want to contact us uh, on, on any basis, you can probably do that most easily at Talking Foosball on Twitter. Hit us up there with a DM. We're open. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Tell a friend about us. Write us a review. This is till next time, y'all.